Welcome everyone to the All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast. This is number 147. I'm Steve Litchfield. We're recording this on Monday the 20th of July 2015. One day early for various reasons, but with me I do have Rafe Blanford. Yes, hello everybody. Plenty to get through uh, this week. More chat about Windows 10 Mobile. Steve's been investigating various things and I'm sure we'll get in some app chat this week as there's been less in the way of immediate breaking news last time uh, we had a podcast rather dominated by the discussion of what happened with job losses and write downs at Microsoft, and we may end up touching on that again. But otherwise, it's a bit of a, a return to the normal proceedings, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. Now, I have been trying to break the all about Windows Phone comment system by putting up something controversial again. <laughs> Thanks for that, Steve. That's great. <laughs> My contention is that with all this stuff about Windows 10 Mobile, that in actual fact, although 99% of people listening to this probably will upgrade on this as soon as the update gets put on their screen, or if they haven't already via the Insiders Preview program. My contention is, and I would like to welcome your thoughts, uh, is that only roughly 15% at most of current Windows Phone users will actually do the upgrade. And here's my reasoning. I've been testing the Insiders Preview, and yes, I know that's not final update. Maybe the final update will be smaller and more manageable, and etc., etc. But... With the Insider's Preview caveat aside, I've been trying to install it on, for example, Lumia 530. You can guess what happened there. Absolutely nothing happened because it's only got a four gig internal disk, which is a gig free. And of course, there's nowhere near, near enough room to uh, unpack and uh, update firmware. The Lumia 435, in theory, this should work. has got an eight gig internal disk. It's got a full gig of RAM. And with each of these devices, I did factory reset them before starting. So absolute perfect conditions. And yet... Three hours later, it was all spinning gears and rebooting. It was just locked in a loop, a complete nightmare. And it's not just me. I've had other people comment with the same phone, the Lumia 435, you know, the Nokia, not Nokia, Microsoft's budget Lumia. It just will not update the Windows 10 Mobile. I'm sure Microsoft will get around to fixing this. There's something something wrong in the provisioning, and I'm sure the final update will work better. In the meantime, I had to go back via the recovery tool. And the third phone I tried, up, you know, these are all budget low-end phones, which is the main subject of my investigation. The Lumia 520, which is the big one, really, because that's the one that sold in the tens of millions, quite literally. And it worked uh, eventually. It I had all sorts of errors and I had to restart it and, as I say, I had to do the factory reset to try and clear space. After a, a clean 520, after you've signed in, Rafe, I so say you entered your Microsoft account and it's, it's signed you into the store. It's signed you so they can get the Windows Insider application. But of course, once you've signed in with your account, it all then, then downloads your email and your contacts and calendar. So it's actually quite hard to get upgraded to Windows 10 Mobile on a completely, completely virgin device with as much free space as possible. So my 530 started off with about three gig free and that turned out to be enough in the end. And my, my, sorry, my, sorry, my 520, my 520 is now happily running Windows 10 Mobile. So it is possible. So my conclusion from all of this, though, is that there are challenges in terms of internal disk space. And my my contention, I think I mentioned this in last week's podcast, kind of teasing this feature, Rafe, but uh, most 520 owners I know, um, they're fairly low end. They're, they're, they're normobs or not far off normobs and normal mobile users. They're not power users. They've probably got a micro SDM, but it's probably not very big. And they probably use most of the megabytes and gigabytes in their internal disk and the 520 owners i know personally they all 
always running out of space and always having it well after delete that game in order to install the other game, always juggling memory. And they've, if you said to them, okay, Windows 10 Mobile's here, but you're going to have to clear three gigabytes, they, they, A, they wouldn't know probably how to do it, and B, they physically wouldn't be able to do it without deleting almost everything they own. And I think that might be anathema to them, sir. So, uh, my contention is that the 520 owners in particular, an awful lot of them are just going to say, yeah, I think I'll skip it. My phone's working well enough and I can't clear that much space. I'll, I'll leave this update and uh, until someone gives me a really compelling reason. What do you think? Well, uh, I think soulful, soulful Steve got out of bed the wrong side this morning. <laughs> I that or he didn't eat his Weetabix. Now, I actually agree with all the sort of points you've made in terms of the difficulty of the update. Just to first of all have some kind of counter argument to that is that i think by the time we get round to the actual device updates the in place ones that happen i think microsoft would have made the process smoother it would have looked at you know the requirements and it's quite well aware there's a lot of these older or these low specification devices out there uh, but during the inside program it's perhaps less of a, a priority to address those so i certainly think there can be some movement from that point of view but I think you're right, it still doesn't change. There will be a lot of devices kind of running on the edge of available memory or people just not being particularly willing to upgrade or wanting to. At the same time, I would say that a lot of those uh, devices, and when we talk about updates, I think it's fair to talk about active devices, i.e. the devices are still actively in use, not sitting in a drawer or maybe passed on to secondhand usage or a second backup phone or something like that. Um, I think a lot of those will be getting round to replacement time, particularly in the terms of the 520. I think you have a point about maybe the more recent 530, the 435 and things like that. Um, I think also a large number of those users won't necessarily be pushing the envelope on the phone, so they may not be full up with memory, so they've still got that possibility of doing it. But I would be willing to accept that there's a good third of Windows phone devices that might fall into that category of basically being written off from updates for, for various reasons, either the apathy or because the memory isn't free um so i was kind of trying to work out why you got and why you arrived at 15 percent because i thought that was a little bit harsh and sure if you start introducing some of the seven the six series as well into those numbers yeah you can actually see how you get there but i think devices like the 630 and the 640 they're they're more likely to have users who put a memory card in and maybe manage their internal memory would be interesting getting the update and there's that we've commented in the previous podcast are arguably better able to run it um, so i think the more recent device anything from the last year or so i don't see as much uh, of an obstacle to, to prevent those from happening and i would suggest that that's as many as 60 percent of devices and you know, these numbers are coming a bit out of um, thin air um, i'm, I'm <laughs> like trying mine. to um, i'm trying to justify them somewhat but based on the rough install numbers that we know about from sources like Aduplex, from comments that Microsoft has made, as well as the likes of uh, Canlis and some of the GFK sales numbers, I think we're ballpark figures. But I do have to set that against, actually, not everyone gets the device sort of and those updates immediately. We've seen in the past that uh, fairly rapid uptake of about 10 to 20%, and then it gets very sluggish, but you know, it's steady over the next few months to sort of, 40% as the people who can get those updates kind of increases, you know, the operator variance rollout. And then very slowly after that, you get a few more devices uh, updating. And then, of course, there's new devices coming onto the market which have Windows 10 installed. And so the percentage of people that have got a new version of the operating system increases. And that very definitely happened with Windows Phone 8 and 8.1, if you 
remember the switch over from 7.8 to 8 and then 8 to 8.1. And so, you know, I suspect if you looked at just existing devices, talking about a 15% update rate, I think if you've been really miserable, it might um, get to that. <laughs> but honestly, I, I think it will be better than that. But it'll be very hard to tell. Of course, it will be offset fairly rapidly by devices, new devices shipping with uh, Windows 10 Mobile. And of course, the numbers are such that actually it only takes about six months to a year before you know you could argue that as many as sort of a third to a half of the devices that are kind of active, you know, have been sold in the last twenty-four months are on that new version. Uh, and so those that kind of stat and that update of existing devices hidden in in the stats, and you know, you can contrast the iPhone world where there's lots and lots of updating. And then the Android world where it takes a lot longer. And I honestly think uh, Windows Phone and Windows 10 Mobile will be somewhere in between. But it is fair to say that Windows 10 Mobile is kind of the biggest of the updates we've seen. And therefore, I think there's a reasonable expectation that it will be harder to do maybe for some people because of the first limitation we talked about. But I actually think Microsoft is going to work very hard on that. And because it is a big update, people might be willing to put uh, a little bit more effort into it. I mean, I think the other thing that you did talk about in your editorial, Steve, um, was how not every phone will get the upgrade and how um, the majority of Lumia phones are being described as getting certain features and experiences, uh, but not everything because some requires additional hardware. Yeah. Um, I think that's a separate issue to this kind of will or won't they on the update process. I think that's an important one that we're not seeing in the insider program very much at the moment. It may well be, I don't want to call it a cut down version because I think that's rather unfair on Microsoft and the platform, but it may well be that some of these lower end devices kind of get a a smaller update. Um, It may not be quite so big in school, have lesser memory and talk. So I think that will help with this as well. So perhaps being just a little bit of an eel um, before we have all the information, Steve, or am I being too harsh on you? Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. I, maybe the 15% was a bit pessimistic, but I think your 60% was way too high, but oh, that's I, somewhere in the middle. Indeed. <laughs> I, I think 60% sort of viable to get updates, um, assuming no you know blocks in terms of operators and uh, maybe the memory requirements. But of those, I would expect maybe, let's say, half, maybe two-thirds. So I would say the number, I think, would be nearer 30 to 40%. Uh, rather than 15%. And I think that will be very shortly obfuscated by the fact there'll be new devices shipping. And so it won't be very long before. Uh, I want to say the end of the year, maybe that's a bit optimistic, but certainly in Q1 of next year, we'll see at least half of the uh, Windows Phone, Windows 10 mobile devices running that latest version of the platform. It'll be an interesting one to watch because it's certainly going to be a harder trick for Microsoft to pull off this time than it was from 8 to 8.1, which was actually by contrast, a relatively simple update. Yeah, and of course, for our, our loyal listeners and readers, because they are in the, the power user segment, and they will be the ones who definitely will have upgraded by quarter four this year. So that we're certainly yeah. on our site, we're going to put numerous articles up which deal directly with Windows 10 Mobile and assume basically that most people have moved on, even if we know in the real world that an awful lot of norm mobs, as it were, probably haven't. Um, one other feature worth um, 
thing worth mentioning is that the WVGA devices and below, so the, the, the budget Windows phones, you can't actually tell once Windows 10 Mobile is on that easily, unless you know what to look for. The, at a casual look at the start screen and so forth, you think, hang on a minute, this hasn't changed much. And you have to know exactly what to look for. Even the store at the moment, on the end of the side is preview. If you go into the store uh, on some of these budget phones, it is the old store still. They haven't provisioned the new store for those lower resolution devices. And I've, I've been playing mainly with Windows 10 Mobile on the 1520 here. Six-inch screen, 1080p, um, full RGB, is a glorious screen, and it works very, very impressively. It is a really impressive operating system and interface in many ways on that gorgeous large screen. It's a very different beast on a Lumia 435 in many ways. So I think you're absolutely right. I think at the moment there hasn't been much optimization at all or attention paid to these budget devices. And therefore, what I'm installing effectively includes a lot of stuff that the phone doesn't actually need. And when the updates do appear over the air for the likes of the 435 and the 630, etc., and the 520, I think the update package will be smaller. I think it'll need less space to unpack, and I think it will go on more smoothly. But um, yeah, so but the certainly the the experience on the fifteen twenty compared to the say the four three five is a very very different at the moment, Rafe. It, it is, and it's one of the things that I think is a contrast about Windows Ten Mobile um, with Windows Phone Eight, where I think honestly across all devices we've almost been surprised by the consistency and the kind of the feature parity. And uh, you know, it, in broad brushstrokes, it's kind of the experience, and of course, it's partly about the hardware. But it feels like you're going to notice it more on Windows Ten Mobile, perhaps because it's a, a more ambitious platform, perhaps. Um, and you know, in one sense, that consistency of Windows Phone was, in, in one sense, about its simplicity and its its focus, its clarity. Um, and other people might <laughs> denigrate that as sort of it not being good enough or not having enough functionality. I'm not sure that's that's an entirely fair way of pushing it. But Windows Phone Mobile, it does feel much more like a, a desktop platform, kind of squeezed onto mobile and. Honestly, it does make me a bit nervous that because I, I wonder whether it will lose some of its focus and clarity. You know, I think the experience I've had on the insider versions has been pretty good, but I, I've been pretty forgiving given that it's effectively an alpha version. And I'm sort of somewhat nervous about it as it gets closer to the release period. But I think I have to reserve judgment at, at this point in time because we kind of all know that beta versions and whether that's, you know, Android M or iOS 9 or Windows 10 Mobile, they all tend to be a bit flaky. I guess the other thing that makes me nervous is I'm not sure Microsoft, as a kind of corporate culture thing, has quite the same experience and attitude to dealing with the multitude of devices out there that uh, Nokia did in its updates. And we know from kind of various bits of knowledge that have come out that Nokia did actually have to optimize various bits of software, even rewrite some drivers for things like the camera after Microsoft delivered the software. Now, of course, it's brought Nokia devices and services to a lot of those people. Well, perhaps not so many now uh, are working for Microsoft directly. But some of the, the attitudes to kind of software updates, I think, from Microsoft were pretty prehistoric in early versions of uh, Windows Phone. Now, they have got better about that, and actually the Insiders program is an example of that. Uh, and they've also said, we want to try and skip this operator gap. We want to try and do things as as well as possible, but I am just made somewhat nervous by, I'm not sure that the kind of US-centric culture of the Microsoft platform team necessarily understands fully the diversity and the number of variants that get out there. Uh, you know, Of course they understand on paper terms and 
know what that looks like and the numbers involved but what's that really mean and the frustration that can be created and uh, i feel a bit unfair saying this uh, but it just feels like it, it, it could be a problem and i've kind of seen early signs of that in some of the attitude that microsoft has had to the marketing and the positioning of devices but also the availability of certain bits of software you know, Cortana is perhaps an unfair example because it is so heavily dependent on localization and getting, obviously, the voices and languages right for each market. But there are other bits of Windows Phone that have been market-specific. And, um, you know, to be fair, the other platforms do this just as badly, but I think that also reflects sometimes their US-centric thinking in certain areas. Um, and I think one of the things that Nokia, particularly at its peak, was always good at because it came from a very small home market of Finland, it always had a very global outlook. And you saw that in it was the first to get mass operating billing in place. And actually, that's kind of been inherited by Microsoft and something we'll see in uh, Windows Mobile 10. But also in the way it rolled things out to markets as quickly as possible and did localization, kind of understood the need for uh, a global attitude, but with local specifics. Uh, and that's the other bit of the whole rollout that makes me kind of nervous um, probably what the interesting thing is it won't be a problem for us in the UK because we're one of the leading Windows phone markets and one, one of the leading mobile markets. And so you know, if you're looking at it, you're going to get right. We're going to get this right in the US, probably the UK, maybe uh, France, Germany, Italy, India and China. Uh, we'll, we'll throw in Australia and New Zealand as well because they're English as well. It's quite easy for us to handle. But for a lot of other markets, sort of just to pause for thought and especially with Satir Nadella last week saying they were going to focus on kind of where they were strongest. I think that has an impact on markets and distribution of sales as well, where, you know, if you're in one of those core cool markets, you're absolutely fine. If you're else, elsewhere, you almost become a, a second-class citizen. And it is the same on other platforms. You know, you, you do see it with the launch of various services and particularly ones that are heavily dependent on local content or local customization. But I'm, I'm more nervous than I have been in the past about that. Yeah, yeah. One other thing worth mentioning just before we move on um, is the fact that I've noticed for quite a while that Microsoft and Windows Phone applications tend to be coded uh, for and tested on the X100 series of processors. Obviously, this is we've had now 18 months or so of the Snapdragon 200, 400, and 800 in our hands, and the old uh, S4 Snapdragon S4 based handsets are kind of consigned to history in, in one sense. Most applications still still run on the old processors, and I'm thinking of things like Skype. Um, BBC iPlayer, of which more in a moment if we get time on the podcast. And of course, the whole operating system itself, they, they tend to be tested on and written for the, the X100 series of processors. And I, I get the feeling testing across all the different devices on my desk at the moment that again, the, uh, the 830 with a Snapdragon 400, the 930 and 1520 with a Snapdragon 800, it's much, much more fluid experience. And, uh, I do kind of fear, I mean, you've been expressing some worries there. I'm expressing worries not only for devices with perhaps slightly dodgy internal space the real budget models but also the old faithfuls the classics the all about windows phone re um, readers and listeners who've got the lumia 920 the 925 the 820 the 1020 of course all with this s4 processor they're they're not going to be out in the lurch and they will still i'm sure they'll cope storage wise but in terms of the fluidity of the windows 10 mobile there is kind of a case for saying these users should users just hold back See see what other users make of the upgrade on that older processor before they just leap in with both feet. I think that's right. I mean, we see this actually in other platforms, both on the desktop and mobile, that sometimes 
know, upgrading an old device is is not actually a great idea. I think the uh, iPhone world is a great example of this. You know, Apple, you know, quite rightly cut out features and sort of optimize for the old devices, but I think arguably spend less time there. And so you do tend to get people complaining about maybe the iPhone 4S being sluggish on the latest update. And similarly, you get get it with the Android devices as well. I mean, it, it makes sense if you're uh, a platform maker, you are going to test on the most recent devices because after all, as we've already hinted at in this podcast, those are the ones that are most likely to be updated by their users. You know, typically, the older a device is, the less likely it is to get updated, all other things being equal. You know, it's the same actually with app installs. People are more likely to install new apps and games relatively recently in the device's you know, kind of history, if you like. I mean, it's not always true that, and those are big generalizations. But I, I think a certain amount of caution is absolutely warranted, particularly for uh, things like the Lumia 920. At the same time, you know, in one sense, it's almost a bit of a surprise that those devices are getting the update because that's a, a change from the past. It always used to be, would be complaining about a certain device not getting the update. And it's great news that, in principle, Microsoft has said that every device capable of running Windows Phone 8 will get uh, Windows 10 Mobile. But yeah, I mean, we're going to be testing them. So I guess we can be a first port of call for people. But like anything, um, unless you like living on the cutting edge, maybe uh, jumping in the pool on day number one is not your your best ever plan. I think that actually applies right across the spectrum. But you're absolutely right. Low-end devices and older devices are probably the ones that want to have the most caution before they uh, head off to the diving board. Of course, it really helps for having two Lumia 1020s. I know we're in a kind of a privileged position with hardware to spare, but having two identical devices with two different versions of the operating system is really very, very useful when doing benchmarking. And certainly for those older S4 processors, I should be able to do some good back-to-back articles. Yeah, that's definitely a big factor. And of course, the other thing to remember, even when you've got identical hardware, some of the things that you might be running on it, although in our cases, we tend to blank the devices before running benchmark. But even then, there can still be variations that you can't control around network speed or other factors. So uh, with all the benchmarks we do, always take them with a pinch of salt. They're intended to be indicative rather than kind of absolute in the uh, statistical terms. But hopefully you'll be able to get a much better idea from... And as I say, I'm sure one of the things we'll be doing when Windows 10 Mobile comes along is trying it on some of the old devices and kind of reporting back on our findings. I, I would say, though, of course, as with anything, you know, we'll we'll give them a good run for a couple of days, but often the, the problems sometimes take a little bit longer to emerge than that. And it depends entirely what you use your device for. I mean, some people say they find Windows Phone slow because of various things. It might be opening a particular app or a bit of web browsing. And other people say they find it much faster than their Android device or whatever they're comparing against. Uh, Obviously, it does depend what they're comparing against, but it very much depends what you're trying to do as well, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Now, people know um, the, the devices I've been trying Windows 10 Mobile on. Can I just ask for the record for our listenership, which devices you currently have Windows 10 Mobile Insiders Preview installed on? I currently have it on a 1520 and I also have it on a 640 because uh, I have, was one of the people that had difficulty getting it onto the kind of the 520, the 530 series. And honestly, my patient snapped at that point. So like well, I've tried, <laughs> tried it on a high end device and I've tried it on a mid tier device, but actually it's been the 1520 that I kind of be running as my test device. And that's the one I've been keeping up to date, but I do also have it uh, running on a 930 as well, um, but that's pretty much identical to the 1520 in terms of experience. 
Yeah, absolutely. So watch watch out for experiences and anecdotes from Ray for myself in the coming months. Now, uh, staying with Windows 10 Mobile, but don't switch off. This is relevant to everybody because it's uh, rather a major deal. Well, something I've been ranting about for ages is in-app purchases, or rather the misuse of in-app purchases, and especially in games, of course. And people, some people said I've been making too much of a fuss over this, but Windows 10 Mobile's store, um, and hopefully this maybe could be backported to Windows Phone 8. I'd love to see that. It in the description for any particular application or game, it lists the possible in-app purchases. And moreover, it doesn't just list them. It lists them in reverse order of expenditure. So it starts with the most expensive items. So quite rightly, this, this is absolutely naming and shaming some of the freemium games, Rafe, which have got, you know, sensible purchases down the bottom end, but they've got crazy £80 in-app purchases designed purely and simply to catch the unwary or those who have let their teenager know their PIN code. So uh, I very much hope that this this new move in, in the Windows 10 mobile store catches on and that they leave it in there for the final release because I think it will name and shame quite a few ga- freemium game producers to just think more realistically about what they're asking users to pay. And I'd like to see a maximum level, I've said this many times, some sort of cap at the level of about 10 or £15. Anything more than that is just crazy. Yeah, it's an interesting one, this, because actually if you look at some of the research out there on this, um, Flurry's actually just published something on this and what they refer to as kind of super app users who are often using apps 16 to 20 times a day and are typically the one that go after the in-app purchases. Now, even those ones, I think, would sort of bulk at the 80 quid <laughs> odd for some of these in-app game purchases. But some people are willing to spend that kind of money and they sort of are perhaps not unreasonably say, you know, I spend 30, 40 pounds on a PC game and I'm getting just as much enjoyment out of it. So I don't mind the odd... Uh, in-app purchase and i've been known to uh, buy the odd in-app purchase to get some extra levels and things like that but they've been at most a couple of pounds at a time and i sort of even that i feel somewhat scrooge like about and sort of would never dream of going after the 70 80 pound ones even if they do represent the best value for money if you're kind of doing ongoing purchases but yeah it's great to see this kind of uh, transparency and i wish the other app stores would It'll be interesting to see um, whether this remains there. I wouldn't be surprised to see the uh, sorting kind of done the other way with the cheapest one first. And actually, in some ways, that would be more helpful to purchasers, especially if you can then still scroll down and see the other ones. Uh, I don't really expect it to have much impact on what you know, game developers and producers put these in-app purchases at, because there's always the hope that some will do it. And you know, it's actually true to say that the top one uh, or two percent of app users and this is actually both in terms of in-app purchase and outright purchase of game, represent about 30 to 40% of app store revenue. You know, it's actually not unusual. This happens in a lot of uh, markets. It's not just about uh, these smartphone apps, that premium products, you know, demand premium prices and you know, actually selling fewer of a few things can be better than selling lots of other things. You know, yes, we won't get into an economic lecture and price elasticity yeah. uh, at this point in time. But yes, thumbs up from me as well. It's good to see that in the uh, new store, which is actually looking and I would say shaping up pretty well in terms of the usability where it's showing things off. It's maintaining a lot of clarity, which is one of the things I've always liked about the Windows Phone Store while offering up some of this extra information as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, mind you, calling it an £80 in-app purchase the best value because it's the most number of in-app bucks you can get per pound is a bit like saying this diamond tiara is the best value diamond per pound in the shop. It's only <laughs> £800,000. Well, it's the best value tiara. I must buy it. It's just crazy. Crazy money. Indeed. <laughs> moving on, we, we're running out of time, but BBC iPlayer. Now, I put up this morning, Rafe, a 
uh, a feature looking at BBC iPlayer and the experience on various different Windows phones. And I, 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 I gather from uh, chatting to you before the show that you don't use BBC iPlayer very much in Windows phones, and neither did I, because it had rather a bad rap. And if you look at the reviews in the Windows phone store, they are appalling. People saying mainly on devices like the 520 and indeed the older, devices like the, the 920, 925, 1020. The video streams from BBC, the BBC do rather stutter and buffer, and it is a pretty awful experience. Plus, there's no way to download and thus you know, play the videos from uh, local storage. However, and this returns to the theme I mentioned earlier about optimising and coding for the X100 series of processors. I have noticed, and I've been trying BBC iPlayer here, on uh, eight different devices across all the different uh, vintages and processors, and it's absolutely fine. The video streams are fine on the Snapdragon 400. That's the Lumia 735 and... Uh, uh, 8, 8.30, and also on, of course, on the 9.30 and 15.20. So we do seem to have, a, yet again, a processor divide that uh, presumably people at the BBC thought, well, OK, we'll, we'll, we'll test it on these, these the, the 9.30 at the time and the 15.20. Oh, it looks, works absolutely fine. And they never got round to testing it on the, the lower-end Snapdragon 200 processors, the budget devices, and, of course, the older, the two-year-old, three-year-old devices with the S4 chipsets. It's a bit of a shame, really. The BBC iPlayer for UK residents is a bit of a must for whatever your interests, and to have a whole section, a whole swathe of the Windows phone world, um, just having a terrible experience just seems like a bit of a downer to me. It is a real shame, this. I mean, as I said to you beforehand, I don't use iPad all that much because it's built into various uh, TV and other devices that I own. Um, when I have used it, it, it's been without a problem because obviously got, I put one of the more recent higher-end devices, so I hadn't really thought about this. But it's actually a good lesson for uh, testing apps and games. Um, it's not really enough just to check it works. You need to sort of consistently check the performance over a period of time. And particularly if you're an on-demand streaming service, you need to check if there's any changes to the streams, whether that has an impact on your users. And I suspect you're right here. It's just a case of, you know, they haven't really thought about tuning it for Windows Phone, perhaps because they've decided there aren't enough users to justify that kind of stringent testing criteria. Because you know, what people might not always appreciate is actually the kind of testing, it's generally known as quality assurance, is actually one of the most expensive bits of developing an app. You know, you, you might think it's all around the build process. And of course, there is a big element of that. But where you might typically have one or two developers on a, an app project, you may also have one or two testers as well. And they don't always operate for exactly the same period of time. It depends on your development process and how the team's set up. But I would certainly say that you could probably account for as much of a third of the effort in terms of cost and time going towards uh, quality assurance and this testing process. Um, and obviously that can vary from app to app and from organization to organization. But that's sort of, in my experience, the typical amount you, you need to pick up problems. And if you're doing something like on-demand streaming, I think arguably you need to do even more of that because it's core to the app, app functionality. And if you're not doing it, you will get mistakes exactly like this. So my betting would be that the BBC hasn't done as much testing as it maybe it should have done on the older devices. It may have looked at its usage statistics and said, okay, you know, the top 10 devices will test and we'll just forget about these other ones. And of course, they are typically going to be the older devices. But of course, they will also be the people are most likely to complain about yeah. it. And then you will see that in the reviews in the App Store, which is why, obviously, reviews are always a good place to check for these kind of apps to see whether people are satisfied or not with the performance. So Yes, it strikes me that I probably need to write an angry letter to the BBC and like every other Windows Phone no. user and get no <laughs> response or get an, uh, an unsatisfactory response. I mean, I shouldn't uh, push into it because I think iPlayer is great. I just think it 
if you're going to offer it, you really need to make sure it works well on the target devices because it would be possible to just say, don't make it available uh, for these set of devices or to put up a warning saying that you may get performance issues on the streaming because it's not optimized, you know, but to actually put it up and not, you know, not put any warning in place or have no kind of indicating there may be problems, just asking for trouble really. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame, really, because the BBC do offer all sorts of um, adaptive streaming solutions that it can cope with, for example, slow bandwidth. And now with these budget devices, the problem isn't the bandwidth, it's usually the processor itself and the device itself. But there's no reason if the BBC did tune their servers to recognise the device and think, OK, there is a problem, the device is not handling the frame rate properly, we'll go down to a lower bit rate, not because of bandwidth reasons, because of the destination device. And yeah, I just think there's, there's been a lack of attention the bbc have taken their eye off the ball and hopefully my uh, feature will just uh, maybe focus someone's attention at the bbc who knows let's hope for the better fingers crossed yeah maybe when maybe windows 10 and windows 10 mobile will focus the bbc's attention a bit more in the microsoft world um but before we go rafe uh, an app pick from you and me i'm going to go for something i have linked to a couple of times in the last month or so and it's uh, an application called one shot it's a replacement camera application and i mentioned this in particular for devices like the 1520 and the 930 um, because we're kind of moving uh, away from the idea of uh, oversampled, you know, five megapixel, sh- quote, shareable images and a high resolution underlying image, which all work very well. But the competing devices, these these phones are up against now, they're routinely spitting out 13 megapixel, 16 megapixel and even 20 megapixel images, um, really competing with the, the full resolution of the device, these devices sensors, the 1520 and the 930. And what one shot does is it just aims to take a full resolution photo. But if as you start zooming in, should you want to use zoom in? It, it intelligently crops down and shows, as you zoom in, it shows the megapixel count reducing so that you can interactively in real time work out just how balanced the, the, the degree to which you've zoomed in and the amount of resolution you're getting from your final image. And it's a great way of going, you know, go right in, right out, and at each stage knowing in your head, seeing that megapixel count on the screen and knowing what you're going to end up with. So uh, highly recommended. And it comes with a bunch of effects and the usual um, adjustments in terms of ISO, etc, etc. So one shot, it's in the store and it's not expensive. Highly recommended from me. Uh, it sounds like I should give that a go. I, I'm pretty sure I've purchased it in the past, so it's available to me. Yeah, I've just never particularly had the inclination to use a, a third-party camera, but there are times when you do want that added control. So um, I, I originally said I was going to talk about Quiet Hours, but Steve told me that was cheating because it wasn't an app. But do read this feature <laughs> on the site because I've uh, had that set up for a while and family and friends are always impressed when they get an automatic text message from me telling them I'm in a meeting or can't answer the phone or something like that. But actually, just as someone who typically has their phone on all the time, a way of sort of setting it to go into quiet mode automatically is an absolute must-have because you avoid those annoying middle-of-the-night calls from spams or robots or whatever <laughs> causes them to happen, or indeed incoming emails um, if you've got alerts and sounds set up for that sort of thing. Uh, so thoroughly recommended. But I was going to mention... One app quickly, but I know Steve is going to say this is a cheat as well, but it's Hyperlapse Mobile, now available for all Lumios, or at least for the dual-core devices. If you haven't had a chance to play with this, do so. It's kind of the stabilised and time-lapsed, if you like, video and can be really effective to producing shots. And I know, actually, uh, Lumia Conversations, the official Microsoft site, is um, running a competition uh, to kind of have the best 
one and you can therefore get some kind of experience and I think a customised Lumia 640 if you win that. So details on that are on the Lumia Conversations being run by Lumia Voices, which incidentally is the, the new name for Connects, which is a kind of uh, outreach and sort of uh, device loan organisation, kind of social media that's been around for for years, right through the Nokia era now into the Microsoft era. So um, worth checking out and kind of congrats to them on the name change. But the app I'm actually going to pick out for this week is Metro Tour. It's a third party <laughs> app that covers the Tour de France. So if you want to follow along on that for live coverage, get kind of information at a glance about the classifications, leading the yellow jersey, green jersey, mountain jersey, white jersey, etc. It's a, a really great app. And actually, I've used it, I think, each of the past three years to kind of keep an eye on the Tour de France as it's going on, because it's not the kind of sporting race that I can really take the time to sit down and watch a whole stage at a time and don't always t- get time to catch up with the highlights. But uh, Metro Tour manages to keep me up to date. And actually, it's a handy way of working out whether I do want to watch the highlights because it's been a particularly exciting stage and very much enjoying watching Chris Foom and the Sky Cohort uh, doing very well in this year's edition. Looking forward to them getting into the Alps in the next few days. So you've actually managed to get three app recommendations in. That, that really is cheating. <laughs> <laughs> just like to deliver value to our listeners. Yeah. On on that hyperlapse, just one tip from me. I mean, I used it when it first came out. I haven't used it since, but I did report on the update. But uh, just to say, it's in my opinion, I think you'd best to shoot video separately in your normal camera application, then you can import it and do stuff with it in hyperlapse. You don't lose anything that way. If you shoot it in hyperlapse, you get a limited opportunity to do the editing and then you kind of, you kind of lost your original. So if you, if you shoot your own originals and then work on it later in hyperlapse, I do think it gives more flexibility should you head out into the forest with it, Rafe. Yeah, that's an excellent tip. I've also found hyperlapse when you shoot the video directly in there can be a little bit unstable and fall over when it's processing the video, which is very irritating if you've done it in hyperlapse because as Steve said, there's actually uh, not always a way to retrieve the video. Sometimes it is there, I'll give it the credit for. But yes, as you say, uh, shoot it normally and it might be an interesting enough video that you want to keep it normally or indeed extract some stills from it uh, and then you just go through the processing, which happens uh, surprisingly quickly. Uh, particularly on the higher-end devices, but even on the sort of mid-tier device, it seems to do all right. It's just a you know a, a creative way of doing a bit of content, like all of these other apps that are out there, you know, things like Cinemagraph. I mean, how many of these will catch on long-term? I, I don't really know, but Hyperlapse is probably one that feels a little bit more interesting, and, uh, you know, it's certainly a very clever use of technology, that kind of, uh, I guess you'd have to call it computational videography rather than photography, uh, but uh, a, a fun one to have a play with. And actually, um, it certainly speeds up the uh, boring holiday videos. So you can show someone around the lovely beach that you were sitting on or the walk that you did in 30 seconds rather than watching their eyes glaze over if you sh- as you show them the full 20-minute video, although you do need to put it up to kind of full speed for that kind of thing. The other tip I would give is actually play about with some of the lower speeds as well because you can get a pretty effective... Uh, uh, effect that's probably not the best phrasing there even on those kind of slower speeds so two or four times i think it is and you can just produce a little bit of speed so just maintain the interest while still capturing kind of a lot of the detail and people actually being able to see what's going on in the video of course by the time you get up to 32 times speed everything's whizzing by so quickly you're kind of more admiring the hyperlapse effect and less the actual content itself but it's a, definitely a fun one to have a play with 
Yeah. And in what other podcast, what other tech podcast would you hear the phrase computational videography? I'm not even sure that's a phrase, but well done, Rafe. <laughs> anyway, we're out of time, so I will say goodbye and hope to uh, hear you all and you can hear me next week on the All About Windows Phone podcast. And I'll let Rafe say goodbye. Uh, we, we will indeed be around next week. I also want to give a, a shout out to the phone show chat, which is Sue's other podcast, which recently had a big anniversary. So if you haven't checked that out before, Please do show. Steve, you can get that at stevelitchfield.com, I believe. Absolutely. It was phone show chat number 300, and we had a hangout to celebrate, which was kind of fun. So, But yeah, stevelitchfield.com for everything else I do. Yeah, so it's uh, definitely worth a listen to. It's always good on those big number anniversaries, get a whole bunch of people in. Uh, and it is a bit like a crowded room in the pub, but all the more enjoyable for that. But as Steve said, that's it for this week. Uh, please tune in next week. Feedback to the usual places. And once again, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>